The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're talking about one of my favorite things to drink, beer. And with me is Daniel McKinnon. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Daniel is the owner of McKinnon Brothers Brewery, and that's in Bath near Kingston, Ontario, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming it's uh, brothers in the title. So it's you and your brothers? Me and a brother, my brother and a cousin and a buddy of ours all own it together. Oh, nice. That's awesome. And uh, you, you started this brewery off of a family farm that's been in your family for a long time is that right yeah the farm's been in our family since 1784 wow um i guess my nieces are like the 10th generation on the farm wow yeah um we wanted to keep the farm going wanted to keep it in our family and keep it a functional farm but farming as as you may or may not know can be um tricky to make a good living at even at the best of times so we wanted to do something value-added you know, we still run the farm and we added a brewery to it. So the general idea behind the brewery is we use ingredients from our farm or other local farms to make unique and delicious beers. That's awesome. I can't believe it's been in your family so long. It's That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, we forget that Canada, you know, has been farming for a very long time and we have this big history with it. And uh, I think cows and dairy were a big part of us, you know, growing our farms and mm-hmm. our civilization mm-hmm. here basically it was a big a big part of it and uh, you have 100 acres is it or do you have more? 15 oh uh, sorry 1300 acres 1300, is what we oh my gosh. F- farm and i guess we some of that's rented and some of it's owned so yeah that's huge yeah that doesn't obviously all go to the brewery we uh my brother and dad run um uh, certified seed business but we kind of run the farm and the brewery sort of all together mm-hmm. um, so I've made beer a lot, and I don't think it's a very difficult process because I use wort that's already made, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine the difficulty of actually making the wort because that's when you're adding, like, the barley and the hops, and you got to get it just right or it's not going to taste good. And, like, I think there's a lot of work on that part. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always like to think about it like winemaking, the hardest part is growing the grapes and getting them just right. But then when you just crush the grapes up and you get this sugary delicious grape juice and you add yeast and the yeast uh, ferments the sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide on the brewing side of things there's starch in the grain and you have to convert that to sugar which is a bigger processing step growing barley i mean we're barley farmers it's not really easy but i mean maybe it's less you need to put less attention on it than grapes for sure so but the conversion of the starch into sugar in the brew house is a more complex step for sure. There's a lot more processing that needs to go into into making beer in that sense. Yeah, so my understanding of that is you have to harvest the grain from the field and then you have to spread it out on this, I would assume, a very clean, large surface. And then you get it a little bit wet so that it sprouts and produces sugar and then you kill it again. Is that right? Yeah, 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 you got it. <laughs> More or less. So that's called the um, the malting process. So the general idea is uh, barley grain is a package of starch and enzymes, and the barley 
grain is a living thing and it has that starch because it needs that energy next spring you know it's going to be out in the field and it's going to start getting warm and there'll be moisture and the barley goes okay great it's time to grow and it uses that starch as an energy source before it can start to grow its roots and shoot before it can start photosynthesizing so the idea the starch is packed up in a in a form that's not readily available for like microbes to be able to, to eat so that it doesn't break down like over the winter or when it's stored dry. Um, it's, right. it's re- it'll just, it can last years, which is great for us humans as well, because we can, we can grind it up and mill it up and cook it and, and eat it. Um, but, or we can store it for years. And yes, you can do that on a floor, like a typical floor maltings, barn owl malt, which is a local maltster that we use up just yeah. outside of Sterling, yeah. um, does floor malting. So basically you steep it in some water, get the grain hydrated and put it in a good temperature uh, room with lots of oxygen. So in floor malting, you'd be turning it by hand. But you don't do floor malting? We don't malt the grain ourselves. We use barn owl malt. But Um, but you grow some of it We grow the barley ourselves. Oh, and then they do that part. And they do that part, which is a process not unlike brewing in its complexity. Um, So to have a whole maltings and a whole brewery was more than we thought we could handle at the start. And then um, the guys at Barnall Malt came along and they're not too far away. And it just made sense to get it malted there. It's local and it's close and it's, yeah, yeah, division of labor at its finest. Yeah, it works so much better if there's different people specializing. That's like Econ 101, right? Yeah. For anyone who's, who's sat through those classes. For sure. It makes sense. And uh, it, it makes sense to go local because then you're cutting down on the carbon footprint. So anything you can get locally or work together with other farms or whatever, mm-hmm. then um, it's significantly decreasing those trucks that are on For the road sure. that need to travel far distances. So that's mm-hmm. fantastic. So with beer, uh, you are a very sustainable brewery, but we we start with the barley. So you grow it. It's it's malted, right? Mm-hmm. That's the malting exactly. process. Exactly. Yep. And then it has to be boiled into the wort with hops as well. Is that the next Right. Step? So after the, the end of the malting process is kilning. That's kind of like drying out the barley and making it stable again, taking all the moisture out. And it also produces, there's, after the malting, there's sugars in there, in the grain. Um, and when you kiln it, it kind of cooks it. So you can kiln it at different temperatures. It's kind of like coffee in a way to simplify things. Like the higher temperatures you go, the darker it can roast it. So you can get all kinds of different oh, flavors cool. um, of malt, um, okay. depending on the on the kilning or roasting process. Yeah. Um, so after that, then it goes to the brewery and the brewery has it in bulk or in bags and you mill it up in a mill just to crushes up the grain. Then when it's milled, it kind of exposes all that, that starch and those enzymes. You mix that with water. When you mix it with water at around 65 to 68 degrees Celsius, all the enzymes that were produced during the malting process start breaking down a lot of the starch or all the starch into sugars. And you end up with a really nutrient-rich sugar solution in something, you do this in something called a mash tun or a louder tun. There's a lot of husk in there. All the husk tends to settle to the bottom. And it's really an interesting uh, development. Probably happened hundreds, if not thousands of years ago. The husk of the barley grain actually acts as a filter. So it settles to the bottom of your tank and you recirculate the wort, the nutrient-rich sugar solution. It's nice and malty tasting around uh, till it clarifies itself and the the husk acts as a filter and then you pump it from that into vessel into a kettle where the wort is then brought up 
to a boiling temperature to 100 degrees Celsius. Then you, you boil it for an hour to two hours typically, and you'd add your hops in there at, at different times, bittering um, hops or flavor or aroma hops. And there's hundreds of types of hops, and you can add them all kinds of different times during the process to make kind of your own unique brews. And are hops growing well in this area? This used to be a huge hop growing area. Um, Prince Edward County, probably all the way to almost to Kingston and in the Belleville area probably too. They used to grow quite a bit of, of hops. The only, we're growing some hops and there's a couple other other hop farms in the area trying to find varieties that they haven't been growing here for a long time. So a lot of the modern varieties have been bred for other areas. So trying to find a variety that grows well here um, is a bit tricky but people are starting to figure it out and there's some good local hop farms that are making a go of it so it's great and i bought some i think one of them was a cascade variety and then like another one from oregon which is probably like oregon is such a different climate it's crazy right it's so different so i ordered them from there and I got them growing, but so I think one, I planted it too much in the shade and another one, I think my soil is way too clay because I, yeah. th- I think hops like more They like sandier sandy. soil. They don't yeah. like low-lying clay, which we do have a lot of around here, but there's yeah. sandy spots too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, at our farm, like those were probably remnant hops because a lot of people, especially before Prohibition, used to make their own beer at home. So yeah. either they were hop farmers or they would have some hops to make their own beer locally yeah. um there is a, a historic house in bath called the fairfield Goodsite house and um there's hops they they grow like crazy the story is when my grandpa got a tv tower in like i don't know let's say the 50s um like an antenna to get tv my grandma thought it was so unsightly and she would volunteer <laughs> at this historic house and she went down there and there's some wild hops and she um dug them up and planted them to cover the TV tower in in the summer. So they grow. And since then, my brother lives in that farmhouse now. And uh, he put an addition on the TV tower to get so we can get internet because we're out in the country. So it's 30 feet tall now. (laughs) And the hops grow every season from the bottom all the way to the top of that. It's crazy. They grow like a bad weed. But it's also interesting. Those hops would have been ones that the original settlers would have brought and would have been using to make beer themselves because they were going wild at this historic house in Bath. Wow. Yeah. And have you tried to use I ha- those? I ones? haven't tried to use them yet. We need to like propagate them up. Although Catherine Edgar, who owned Pleasant Valley Hops in Prince Edward County, they found a wild variety in, in the county that they propagated up and are growing a full field of it. Nice. Um, or at least a few trellises. And we used that in a brew and it was, yeah, really interesting. Was it a weird flavor? Was no, it it's just kind of spicy. I mean, huh. they were using them back then, I think, more for a little bit of flavor, but more as like a preservative because hops have um, antimicrobial properties along with the alcohol, which is one of the reasons um, it's such a great drink. Historically speaking, that would have been one of the safest drinks yeah. and one of the most nutrient-rich drinks and would last the longest. So aside from the other positive benefits of, of you know, it being delicious and, you know, <laughs> you know drinking normally yeah normal <laughs> drinking fun. stuff Sometimes. it's it was safe and and <laughs> nutritious so yeah, yeah that's that's another thing i love about beer is the history of it is thousands of years old yeah. and it is a way to get clean drinking water mm-hmm. and if people were coming here back in the day i suppose you could do a dug well of like 15 feet or something but my well at my house is 83 feet like i don't think there were drills back then no <laughs> no, no not to drill those ones so no. how do people get 
clean water. Well, you can just make beer and then you you can trust that your water is clean. And I think that's such a wonderful thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, if you're listening to just like stop drinking water. No, no, it's not beer. a good idea. Their beer was a lot lower in alcohol <laughs> right? content yeah. too. Yeah. Like we're talking like two or 3% probably. Cause kids were drinking it yeah, too. Exactly. Uh, so it was like light and probably a little bit sour over time. It probably had all kinds of, I just think it would be really neat to be able to get a beer from back then that like fresh off the line from like, I don't know, 1800 and see what it tastes like in comparison to like one of today's beers. Have you been to like Belgium or any of those places? I have, yeah. Yeah, I mean. They probably have some really old like recipes. For sure, they do. But I mean, these kind of like farm recipes or farm breweries, I mean, things get lost over time, you know? I know, it's so and, sad. And like they're, they're, they may have never been written down or, you know, but, you know, yeah. whatever. That's, yeah. it's kind of a developing industry or continually changing you know yeah industry. I, I read a while ago that belgium put in a pipeline under the city for beer from one of the breweries but the whole idea was to get those big diesel trucks off of the streets mm-hmm. and so they did they just put it underground and it was going i guess from a brewery into like different pubs and stuff and i thought that was just yeah silly. yeah i heard i heard something similar that they were running it underground so let's go back to the the process so you're growing the barley, then it's it's malted and it's dried, and then you're putting it into the wort with the hops that are also coming more and more or less local, mm-hmm. and, and you're experimenting with those. And then um, are you giving the leftovers to animals? Yeah, so the spent grains, it's called, which is all the husks and, and some proteins uh, that are left over from the, the mashing process. Our neighbor down the road, he's got beef cattle, and he's just tickled pink to get <laughs> the spent grain. And he had a pickup truck, and he was backing it up, an old pickup truck, and he just load up the back of it and take it down. And as we grow, he's kind of he got a new pickup truck, and nothing to do with the spent grain. But he, the cattle liked the grain so much, they started like climbing over the side of his new pickup truck oh, no. and like denting it. So he got a couple trailers, old trailers. So now he <laughs> drops the trailers off and we're producing more and he's got a few more cattle. So it's, it, it's a good little partnership we've got going down there and it's like maybe two kilometers away. So oh, it's really close. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. So another thing I love about beer is you can kind of do it zero waste. Like, are you, are you pretty zero waste at the brewery? I um, mean, drinking on the drinking side. Yeah. So you waste. can in, I mean, the cans are aluminum and can be recycled in Ontario, which is good, there's a 10 cent deposit on the can, which means a lot more of them do get recycled, what? as opposed to like a, a aluminum can that doesn't have a 10 cent deposit on it. It is good to have those returnable deposit schemes. And then do you have growlers as well? Or you- We've got growlers. So those are awesome. Those are super awesome. Yeah, they're, I mean, a two liter or they call them squealers. Some people call them other things. This is a, it's like a growler bottle, but a, a half. for people who don't know what a growler is, it's a two liter, like kind of old timey sort of medicine looking yeah. jug because people are growler. What the heck's that? And then everyone always asks me, hey, where did this name growler come from? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know. I had to look it up online. And it's a, I mean, I don't buy into it 100%, but the story that I read was that um, back in the day, you used to get your beer from the local bar typically you take a pail down or or a jug or something and fill it up and depending on how much foam was in it and everything obviously it's got a bunch of foam in your pail you're getting less beer and there was always disagreements between the bartender and the patron who had brought their bucket in about how much foam was in the bucket and i guess they would growl at each other and that's how they called them growlers I don't know that's if that's awesome. true, but it's kind of a neat story. So yeah, we've got growlers. They're not pails. They're 
two liter, one liter glass jugs, and they're reusable. So people come to the brewery and grab one or two or lots sometimes, and uh, and they bring back their empty ones from last time. There's a five dollar deposit on them. Nice. That, that is a good deposit. Yeah, it's a good deposit. And then we wash them and sanitize them at the brewery, and then refill them. So yeah. we sell quite a bit of beer just out of the a little retail store at the brewery like that and kegs i mean i can't say enough good things about stainless steel kegs yeah we've when we started we bought some used ones some of these things are from the 80s and they're still going strong oh that's great we still use them every week they go out to bars that's awesome they get tapped the bar gets the beer gets served into pint glasses which obviously are glass get washed and and reused even the little caps on the um there's a little plastic cap that you put on top of the the keg where the beer yeah. would come out so you put a little sanitizer in there and put the cap on it can they, you they yeah those can get reused so they just I, we just ask the bars to just leave them on top of the keg uh when they're done with them and we collect the kegs and they're still sitting there and uh we bring them back and wash them and separate them out into bins and reuse them so it's great yeah it's funny though that you said old timey for the the jugs because the first time I saw them in BC when I was like in my 20s, I was just reminded of Bugs Bunny and those big jugs that they would carry around that say X, X, Yeah, yeah, the X. three X on yeah. them or four Xs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are like that. If, yeah. if people couldn't imagine what they were like, that's what they're like. And then I saw this contraption in Seattle like a month ago, and this guy had this really expensive jug, and it had some sort of like compressor or, some, or mm-hmm. like an air thing. A uh, little CO2 that? cartridge probably in it. Yeah. And he, could, and he would dispense it from his little... It's like a mini keg with the CO2 and everything all in it. Totally. Yeah, it's slick. And it was beautiful. Like, yeah. I think it had copper on it or yeah. something. And yeah, he said it was a bit expensive, but he actually was in a brewery. So I was just sitting there having a glass of beer. This yeah. guy walks in with this beautiful thing. And of course, I'm just like, oh, what, what is, is that? And he, yeah, he would fill it up and then take it home and he would get like a week out of it. Because if I get a big growler, I need to have some friends to help me drink it because mm-hmm. it's it's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, and, two liters is four full pints, you know. Yeah. yeah. And they don't, once you open them, I mean, you can put it in the fridge, but it can lose its carbonation. It's it not going to go bad, but it's just not going to taste as fresh or as awesome after you've yeah. opened it up and left it in the fridge for a few days. But yeah. what you're describing would last weeks for yeah. sure. Yeah, so that's like less waste, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you are kind of known as like a sustainable farm. Well, we try to encourage people to come out to the farm and see what we've got going on so they can, you know, have a little tour, have some free sa- – if you ever own Bath, Ontario, that's one of the things we do is free little samples of all the beer. Oh, that's um, awesome. Because if people come all the way out there, it's kind of out of the way. The least we can do is let them have some beer for free. Oh, that's nice. You know, I think my favorite one is that red – is it Red Fox? Red it- Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I like Maybe that one. Maybe 1% Fresh Best Beet Juice. Beet juice? Yeah. For the color? Red, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, local beets too. That's good. And beets are known to help prevent liver damage. Oh. I'm not saying that uh, if it's you drink liver too much. neutral, but I'm saying beets are known to help prevent <laughs> liver damage. That's great. Lycopene is supposed to be good for hangovers too, if, for tomatoes, uh, but tomatoes I think would be really gross in beer. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> but yeah. I didn't know it's beets. But that's another thing I don't like is like artificial colors because it's mm. usually made with oil and gas. A yeah. lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that either. And there was a scare in the 70s with Halloween candy where a bunch of kids got like really sick because of the dyes. So like I don't, I try not to give my kid things that are artificially mm. dyed color. So yeah, if you're using beets, like... That's fantastic. Yeah. No, it's great. They're natural. They add a little bit, I'll call it a je ne sais quoi, of uh, a flavor to the beer too. I mean, it's not much, but I mean, they used to use beets to dye clothes and and for all kinds of coloring purposes. And uh, they add a little bit of flavor and uh, yeah, 
in theory, they're adding different nutrients that the yeast are metabolizing and producing different flavors. So it makes a really unique beer at the end of the day. That's another thing is like beer is a fermented food. So we're, I guess we're learning that it's really good for our gut health as well. Yeah, it can. Um, yeah. If you don't drink too much of it. Yeah, like you don't want to be drinking like cases of it. No, anything, no, guess, but like but... a couple, a beer or two. There's an interesting chart where it's like if you have one drink of alcohol a day, I think. I don't know if it's necessarily beer. Like your life expectancy goes up. And then as you drink more than that, like it's like it's Sliding a really scale. gradual slope, but it gets like steeper. But like from zero to one, it's like 65 <laughs> to like 68. And then like. Once you're at like six beers a day, it's back at oh like 65 or something like that, or maybe even lower. I can't remember the exact thing. But anyway, one day of beer, based on that graph, I saw healthy. Should be all right, yeah. Yeah, so the idea is like we use ingredients from our farm and other local farms. And then, you know, I think it does intrigue people. Like it's a good, it differentiates us in the market. And I think it's something people are really getting more in tune to these days. Like they care about that. So it's, it's good for us business-wise. And in long term, I mean, obviously for the, it's our farm, we want it to be run in a sustainable way and for our kids and and everything like that. And even on the long term, a lot of the projects, I mean, it might not pay itself off in your typical like big business needs to pay itself off in three or five years investments. But some of the investments we make, they do pay themselves off eventually, like maybe it's not three to five, it might be 10 to 15. But I mean, the farm's been our family for a long time, and we hope that this brewery is going to be too and that it's not going to be going anywhere. So they're long-term investments for sustainability and for the future of the brewery. And and monetarily, they do eventually pay off a lot of this stuff. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's really good to hear because I think a lot of businesses are just scared to take that step or that investment because they don't want to affect their bottom line. I know a restaurant in town just switched all their plastic ramekins mm. at the restaurant to metal ones. Yeah. And it was some cost up front, but then they estimate four to six months, they'll start saving money because they don't have to buy new plastic ones every time. For sure. Time. It's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just having plastic and throwing it out, it, like I'm just seeing the amount of waste. It's It seems ridiculous that we're even allowed to do it. And it just goes to a landfill and gets put in the garbage. I mean, so yeah. I don't know. We're trying to take preemptive steps, um, even things like wrapping skids of cans up right? Oh, yeah. So the, the cans go in a cardboard tray. Yeah. There's luckily a bunch of new LCBOs agency stores that are opening up. So that's a LCBO store that's in like a convenience store or yeah. hardware store or anything. And it's great around this area because... Well, hardware stores again. Yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of small local communities just north of the lake, you know, north of the 401 kind of. And they've got convenience stores and the convenience store would maybe get an LCBO. So we found that... Um, these guys are a lot more flexible. They're business owners too. Convenience stores have a little bit more freedom. So we're working on trying to do a reusable two-four wooden crate rather than a cardboard, wow. which is cardboard's good. I mean, it can be recycled and it's compostable if it gets tossed on the side of the road or falls somewhere or whatever. Yep. It does break down, so it's not the end of the world. But a reusable wooden tray would be we're working on trying to do that with some of these agency stores. So dropping the two-fours off and having a deposit on your wooden tray and you can come back and, and swap it in for another one. That's amazing. Yeah. So little things like that or the wrap. So you got to wrap the skid of beer up. It's all stacked up, you know, eight, eight trays high. high. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, it might tip over. So we're, you know, you can use plastic wrap for that, which again can be recycled, but it's like over time, you know, the cost of that adds up. So we got some reusable pallet wraps that are made of like nylon and you can reuse them 
I mean, infinitely. Oh, good. Yeah. So like there's things like steps you can take. Dealing with garbage is a pain too. Better to, you know, do things like, you know, just try to get as much reusable materials in, in the process as you can. It's so it nice feels not good. having to deal with garbage. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. gross. No yeah. one wants to do that. Yeah. It's it's nice when you free yourself up from having to take that garbage bag to the curb like every week. Like yeah. I don't do that. And it's it's nice. Yeah. It is nice. It gives yeah. you more time to enjoy beers or something (laughs) (laughs) or garden or whatever your hobbies are you know the wrap is interesting like we don't think about the upstream stuff like we can go to the bulk bar and fill up our jars zero waste but like grains are probably grown in india or Mm. where south america or wherever and then they have to be transported like that's a big process too and i mean for us it's like well these kids are going out and we're taking them back and we're the ones handling them and i want to ask you about the festival because you have a big summer festival Mm -hmm. is that right yeah it's uh called mckinnon brothers Back to the Farm Beer and Music Festival. Nice. And we do it every summer in August. And it started out as kind of a, we wanted to have a party to say thanks to everyone who kind of helped us get the brewery going, like the, the bars and restaurants who took us on, took the beer on tap, you know, with, you know, they only had a sample and they kind of, you know, they didn't have to do that. They could have stuck with the beers that they normally had from some of the bigger breweries, but they went out of the way to, to try to support us. And all the our friends and family and local people who like helped us like get it going. Some people got wind that we're having a party and like, hey, can we get tickets for that? And we're like, tickets, eh? <laughs> well, I mean, sure. I mean, they're just, you know, other people in the community. So we said, sure. So we do this big, it's turned into a big festival. It started with 800 people and now it's wow. probably this year will be five or 6,000. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's on a Sunday, nice casual Sunday. And she runs from around 11 o'clock till 10 or 11 at night. And there's food, local food vendors, 25 or 30 food trucks, and wow. 25 or 30 other craft drink vendors, beer, soda, and, and mixed drinks, wine, um, and then 10 or 12 bands. And it's just out in the pasture beside the brewery, and we run buses to and from Kingston and Napanee, so a lot of people don't have to drive. Um, That's good. And we use, on a sustainability side, we use... Um, stainless steel mugs so you get these insulated stainless steel mugs that people really love they seem to like them a lot they insulated so they keep the beer cold which is nice um and you can take them home and use them as coffee mugs or or as beer mugs and then being stainless steel they last for really forever um and we did a thing now where if you bring your mug because there's so many returning customers some people have like some people still want to collect the mugs they want like a set of like four (laughs) or eight or whatever which is fine um but some people like like want to be sustainable with it so if you bring your mug back from last year instead of getting a new mug with your ticket you get the mug when you enter the the gate with your ticket um you get a free beer token yay so if you want to bring your mug back if anyone just wants to come to back to the farm and has a mug um a stainless steel uh, mug from a previous festival you can bring it back and get a beer token so you don't get a new mug you just get a free beer on us that's super fantastic yeah. and that's the incentive that we are talking about that's mm-hmm. how i remember to bring my coffee mug my university had a a, a dollar specialty coffee if you had your own mug otherwise mm-hmm. it was like three dollars that's a great deal it's such a great de- deal but so is a free beer <laughs> yeah so is a free beer that's true yeah um and awesome. so this year with the food vendors one thing we're working on is trying to move to 100 percent reusable compostable plates so like a bamboo fiber or something i'm just trying to dig into that now but wouldn't paper plates work as well paper plates would work but you still end up with a lot of trash um Mm -hmm. and people do bring their own things to the festival people are going to bring their own water bottles and 
I just like the paper plates I'd want to compost and I don't think that it's feasible to keep people from putting plastic in the uh, composting part. It's tough, yeah. So, I mean the bamboo fiber plates, we could I mean the brewing facilities right there, so we've got lots of hot water and like the proper sanitation. We're thinking about getting a little commercial dishwasher and getting up I don't know how many a thousand plates and bowls and cutlery and it might be a little bit of a logistical nightmare, but we're going to hopefully make it work. So the food vendors all just come and collect up a bunch of these at the start. And patrons, who people who are coming and getting the food, um, get their food, and they just have to bring them back to a station where they put it in a big tub. we got volunteers collect up the tubs, bring it up, wash them, and return them to the food vendors. Amazing. And at the end of the festival, I mean, they're made of bamboo fiber. If you drop a fork on the ground and crush it into the ground, it gets broken. It's going to eventually break down. Not like... A metal fork would or even like a reusable plastic fork would so it's good in that sense but it's also good in that we can reuse it year after year after year at the festival so like it's one of those investments i was talking about like it might not pay for itself this year or next year or the year after but in five or six years they'll have paid for themselves and um it's good for the food vendors they don't have to buy plastic or um you know, oh, it would save them money too. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Containers. Because a lot of the food trucks use those containers. Do you compost at the farm? I assume you do. We do have compost, but most of the brewing stuff, uh, brewing waste goes to the to the farmer down the road. There's mm-hmm. not really anything that, I mean, we've got cardboard recycling, which is where all the cardboard goes. And then all the brewing waste goes to the farmer. So mm-hmm. there's not really a lot to compost. Awesome. Uh, so if anyone's interested in going to the Back to the Farm Festival 2020, when... August 16th. Tickets will be on sale in May sometime. Follow our social media. There's a website for it too that's still from last year's festival, but um, it'll be updated shortly with um, this year's bands and the time the tickets will be on sale and where you can get them and everything. Awesome. That's in Kingston, Ontario, near Kingston, Ontario and Bath. And it's if you're listening internationally, it's between Toronto and Montreal. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining the show and telling us all about the sustainability efforts that you're doing. And uh, this has been really great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the interest. Awesome. That was Daniel McKinnon from McKinnon Brothers Brewing Company. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. (laughs) 